0: Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way Podcast. As I always do, every episode is uh, paywall free. So please share, listen, comment. Um, Part of the reason I do them for free is that I get the opportunity to meet amazing people and have amazing conversations. And such is the case today with Monica Guzman. Monica and I met uh, five minutes ago (laughs) and uh, followed each other on Twitter and I purchased her book, which I'll talk more about in a minute. I don't normally read a bio, but as I mentioned to Monica before we hit record, it's beautifully written. So I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we're going to get into the topic. So uh, Monica Guzman is the author of I Never Thought of It That Way, How to Have Fearless Curious Conversations in Dangerously Divided Times, great subtitle. She is a bridge builder, journalist, and entrepreneur who lives for great conversations sparked by curious questions. She's Director of Digital and Storytelling at Braver Angels, the nation's largest cross-partisan grassroots organization working to depolarize America. A Mexican immigrant, Latina and dual US-Mexico citizen, she lives in Seattle with her husband and two kids and is the proud liberal daughter of conservative parents. That's an awesome bio, Monica.
1: (laughs) Thanks. I I hadn't heard that it was well written before, but I appreciate that. That's great.
0: When you see that with authors, where they have, you know, they write a great book, but their bios are like the uh, ingredient panel on a box of oatmeal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yours is interesting. It's got these (laughs) ideas of great conversations and cross partisan. And um, anyway, and I've had uh, just from a the episode that I posted um, recently was with my partner, Virginia Lacayo, who's a, um activist and a Latina. And this lens that she brings to the world of both feminism and, and Latina uh, mindset is super enlightening for me as a you know middle-aged gringo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. so anyway, that's that's just neither here nor there, just an observation. But anyway, welcome to The Third Way.
1: Yes, thank you. Thanks a ton for having me.
0: So, you know, the, the the format here will be three questions, but I'm curious, kind of an off, off question is, when did you decide to write the book? Was there a moment where you're like, I got to write this down? Or is mm. it something where somebody came to you and said, Monica, you got to write a book about this?
1: Mm. It started sometime around 2017 that I thought I've got to begin to take notes on this contrast that I see between sort of myself and the conversations I have with my parents were very politically divided family. And then this brokenness and this cleave that I see all over the country that's affecting the way I talk to my parents, too, but but really seems to be getting in the way of everything all around me, both in Seattle and nationwide. And that urgency just got bigger and stronger and bigger and stronger. And then on top of that, as a journalist, I was starting to think, like, why am I telling stories right now with the aim of helping people understand each other, when those stories just go to one subset of people and can't find their way to anybody else, there's just so much fracturing and such distrust. I got to step back and work on that. So the book was a way, one of the ways that I did that uh, joining Braver Angels was another.
0: Great. Well, that's a perfect segue into the first question, which is how have you personally experienced this hyperpolarization in, in your family, as much as you feel like sharing in your work in the world? How have you experienced it?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, with my family, uh, you know, there's there's lots of Republicans and conservatives who you know are not a fan of Trump. And so the division may not be as sharp as we think. Uh, but both my parents, you know, voted for Trump twice, very enthusiastically. And I am a, a liberal who voted in a lot of ways against Trump, you know, just now, uh, yeah. in, in 2016 and in 2020. So I think a lot of people um, on all, all sides can sort of relate to the particular heat and intensity of, of those two elections. I mean, we, we've seen what it's done to the country and we've seen what it's done to how we feel about each other. So I was I was in a place where I was trying to square this anxiety and really deep existential sense of crisis uh, around the the, you know, this particular candidate and this particular choice and, and politician, and then, you know, my love for my parents and how much I I, I strive to understand everything they do. Uh, for them, it was, They also had sort of their intense reactions to how in the world could you vote for Hillary Clinton? How could you possibly vote for Biden? This guy is this and this and this. Uh, But I I don't know. So so that that is certainly a personal experience. And in a lot of conversations, we've explored that. But also in Seattle itself. So the, the city is extremely blue politically, very Democratic. And. It's not that we don't have our own polar- polarities, you know. Here, it's more about very progressive um, liberal policies and more moderate liberal policies. But uh, one of the ways that I experience hyperpolarization, I suppose, here, what in the lens of the whole country is um, when you know conservative here is an extraordinarily dirty word. It can be, um, mm-hmm. and it's thrown around like an insult, like you know, <laughs> like the people right. ruining everything. Um, and in, in part, that's because there's so little exposure and, and so little traction that right-leaning voices can really have uh, in, in a place like this. And so I think it, I, I'm afraid, I'm concerned that it makes uh, folks in Seattle more afraid of the right than they need to be.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's super interesting to think about that both from a f- family standpoint. Um, my, my, my parallel to this is my little brother who um, is... I mean, he, he's not QAnon, super fringy, you know, JFK Jr. is still alive, you know, that type of person, but definitely anti-vax, anti-Biden, you know, obsessed about Hunter Biden, you know, all of that stuff, and very pro-Trump. Um, and and it breaks my heart, to be honest with you, because um, I, it's, it's, I, I am, at my core, would consider myself a neoliberal conservative, you know, which we would call now in modern, spectrum of politics probably a libertarian but Mm -hmm. with a small l because big l libertarians seem kind of crazy um and the polarization that i've noticed too is that you know biden was the first democrat i've ever voted for for president i voted for democrats before in other races but i've never voted for a democrat nominee for president wow Wow. ever but i didn't vote for hillary clinton either i voted for gary johnson at that time Mm -hmm. and but it was immediately a never trump.er and, and that, as soon as I was a never trump.er, it led to polarization with my family, especially my little brother. Yeah. And and the schism came around like. It, and this is this balance and that I that is how do you have how do you protect your boundaries and your standards mm-hmm. and still love people? Mm-hmm. And it's a mystery to me. I don't really know yet. I think I'm better at it than I used to be. And partially is I just don't try to goad him into political conversations anymore. Mm-hmm. Um. Which which is its own thing. And so this polarization though came from where the policy was separated from the person. Well, I don't like him, but I like his policies. And on my point is, well, that's what justified, you know, Hitler and Stalin. And, you know, I mean, you can go on down the line mm-hmm. and, um, and, and, and I think then on the living in Austin, Texas, which is a very blue city, you know, as Matthew McConaughey says, we're the blueberry and the, and the bowl of Texas, you know, mm-hmm. and, there's a similar thing that you've experienced. What I what I call um, neo neo Puritanism or mm-hmm. a different kind of purity culture. If you're familiar with purity culture in the evangelical community, Christian, yeah. There's a purity culture which is if you do not behave with a certain set of standards as a woke person, you are some, something's wrong with you, and you're a threat to society. Mm-hmm. And I I challenge that too. And I find myself, and maybe you find yourself this too, is like sort of homeless. Like I don't Mm. belong in that sort of, I, many things about me are progressive. I think that we should have some sort of baseline universal healthcare and maybe universal basic income, but I think the government should be as small as possible, you know, that type Mm -hmm. of thing. And so what I'm, what a kind of a follow-up question here to this is when it, where's the line between someone is dangerous and needs that needs to be called out you know um, in the sense of like the red line and when is it just political polarization? When does that line stop mm. where like, what would a person have to do to go, okay, this isn't polarizing anymore. This is just dangerous.
1: Mm. Ooh, <laughs> okay. I don't know that you can really peel those things apart. The, yeah. the way that I look at, look at it. And, and I look back with the benefit of hindsight to the 2016 campaign and Trump himself Uh What keeps coming up for me now is what feels like the tragedy of everyone looking at Trump instead of everyone looking at each other, that that that's what we should have done. And that's what we have, we're continuing to not do. It was never, to me, in my opinion, I think it's important to think that it was never really about him, Um, but that the more that people looked at him and made it all about him, you know either defending him or attacking him, we, we sort of guaranteed that that everything that you know folks like him might exploit just continued, or that any divisive elements would just continue. And so I think the polarization is still the deeper problem. And I know that sounds crazy. It's just like, wait, <laughs> if there's something dangerous happening, don't you have to attack the dangerous thing? Yes, but this is a democratic society. And the vote is given equally to everyone and that's the way it has to be so right. the only way to, to to really tackle anything that that a group of people think is is legitimately dangerous is to engage each other mm-hmm. we have to begin by engaging each other if we engage the thing that is getting all the attention we are we're going to make it worse so i think people do put the cart before the horse here to our detriment
0: yeah, I, th- I, I agree. And you were right. So right about everything was made about him. Mm-hmm. You know, He's the clickbait, was the clickbait president, still is. And mm-hmm. and I also think that understanding quite a bit about narcissism, um, that he was able to exploit um, the unseen mm-hmm. um, and make people feel seen, um, especially yeah. where my people are from, rural America, which is really strange considering yeah. he wears lips and bronzer and is, is the least manly Public person right now.
1: And I want to point out that what you said, you know, he's making the the unseen feel seen is something that many heroes do too. People that people that many people really admire and elevate, including my parents, you know. So so who's the hero? Who's the villain? Who cares? Let's look at each other. Let's talk to each other about what we're ultimately concerned about and what we want to value. That's the only way that we can get to a place where we can put it all on the table and make the best balance for our whole society, seeing everyone.
0: Yes. And so we're in very simpatico here, maybe different language, but similar intention, which is uh, part of the reason I have the third way. I launched it in January of 2020 is I want to have, I want to shift conversation. I want to change the conversation. It's not about ideology, just similar to when I talk to super religious people or super atheist people. I don't want to talk about theology. I want to talk about consciousness. I want to talk about elevating, living, operating from a higher self, because ideology in particular is the lowest form of consciousness. It's barely mm-hmm. above, you know, animals. But if we can shift the conversation to universal principles related to, Freedom, mm. equality, opportunity, fairness. Those are all, if you look at David Hawkins' levels of consciousness chart, mm. anything above the middle of the line, I want to have a conversation with that those, those people, regardless of what their religious and political beliefs are, because I know that they do not over-identify with those things. As soon as someone over-identifies at a psychological and spiritual level with their theology or their ideology... Then there's this descent into into extremism, mm. which interestingly, David, David Hawkins is at the bottom of the levels of consciousness is shame, mm. um, which is an interesting topic maybe for another conversation. That
1: is, yeah. Oh, I hadn't um, I hadn't heard it put that way. It's very interesting. Yeah.
0: And I think there's such great parallels between, you know, ideology is is, is a lens that uh is framed by how people see their own selves and so if we were to look at each other and again i i'm a, i don't like the word christian because it's a, another broken brand like conservative is a broken brand but th- that's what jesus did jesus didn't say look at the romans he said look at yourself you know buddha didn't look at the system he said look inward i mean you go on down the line of all the great spiritual masters as they're all saying what you just said which is mm-hmm. stop pointing at herod
1: Mm -hmm. and look at yourself. I (laughs) do think that there's a reason, right, that so many different cultures, religions, spiritual traditions, psychology, sociology comes down to that same thing. We cannot control other people. We can barely control ourselves. Let's work on ourselves. Even when we share our opinions online, we do it often with this expectation that by dropping one meme on Twitter, I should be able to change everyone's mind. We don't get to witness listening on social media, so we have forgotten feedback we don't get feedback and we think yeah. that our reasons and arguments are more effective than they truly are the, people are deeper than just you know their one opinion and we forget that the internet yes. is a non place that makes us into non people we forget to yeah. look inward and we think that our external stuff is working it's not right, working
0: right. and that's all an illusion ultimately when you get it from a psychological standpoint back to you know the was it plato or socrates uh, allegory of the cave you know we're mm-hmm. looking at shadows or Buddha talked about the finger pointing at the moon. We're not right. actually talking about the issues, right? Um, so that that leads into the second question, which is: if you had the power, this superpower, to change mm-hmm. one thing about the mindset of someone that is polarized, what would you change? What would be the mm-hmm. click? You'd be like, mm-hmm. just one little change of perspective. What would it be?
1: Yeah, I thought about this one because uh, I, depending on my mood and when you ask, I might have a different answer. <laughs> yeah. Same. but but today uh, I'm going to try this one. So there are three assumptions that we often make about people we disagree with in the heat of conversation and when we're really angry and frustrated. Uh, And those are, you are stupid, you are crazy, and you are evil. Uh, Mm -hmm. One or all three of those might come up when things get really rough. And what I would wave a magic wand and change is everyone's inability to believe any of those three things. Mm -hmm. So if we're on conversation and we cannot we do not have the option to think or believe that person is stupid, that person is crazy, that person is evil, then we must contend with the fact that that person is indeed human and is indeed likely building coherence around their beliefs. I may not agree with it, but it is coherent and I can ask about it and I can get curious. That person is not insane. They're not, they're not insane. That's just what, no. And evil is that person completely motivated by evil? Really? Yeah. Yeah. I I think that if we all just, yeah, if something came down and just removed our ability to believe those three things, we would Mm -hmm. be in a much better place because of what we would learn from each other instead of what we would project onto each other.
0: Have you read the coddling of the American mind? Yes. Yeah. So they talk about the three great untruths that's similar to the third great untruth um, that they talk about in that book. And I don't agree with everything in that book, but it was very thought provoking related to similar to what you're saying. And it goes to um, the hall of mirrors that humans are, is that we are what we don't like. in someone else is subconsciously something we don't like in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my thing is, if I could change one thing is that, that people would not be able to look away from the other person's wounds.
1: Oh yeah, because yeah,
0: yeah. love does not look away.
1: Right.
0: Love looks at the wound and goes, "Oh, mm-hmm. you you are attracted to this person, this 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 sort of crazy, you know, uh, you know, narcissist and Trump. You're attracted to him because there's a wound there. Oh, okay, I can show compassion for that, or the mm-hmm. or the um, you know, the people that are very sort of naively progressive." Mm. Like, oh, you're wounded. You were wounded with certainty. You haven't mm. actually struggled.
1: Oh, interesting. Interesting. You haven't
0: actually had to go out and, you know, you don't know what it's like to be a poor person, a mm. BIPOC person, LGBTQ+ person. You don't know what that experience is. And mm. that's a wound. It's the wound of mm. certainty.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. And I think that if we can see each other's wounds,
1: mm.
0: like truly we could, where we couldn't look away back to what I said. We would have to look at each other, to your mm-hmm. point, not at somebody else, not some other. Mm-hmm. Because th- I guarantee you, if we could see the wound in someone else, we'll see the wound in ourselves, And that is not a stay, essentially, you know, modified.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that's really strong. I would, if I can offer a challenge, of course, I, would, yeah. I would flip that to see the wound in yourself before you look for the wound in others and to not be too sure that you know the wound yeah. in others. Because, yeah. because I think when, you know, condescension is sort of the opposite of curiosity. And yeah, when, people, when people feel condescended to, you know, when when I approach somebody going, oh, you're wounded, you're broken. Yeah. I yeah. see. Now I understand you. Let no. me take my notes and walk away. Um, You know, are my parents, I don't know that my parents are wounded. I think they're really enthusiastic of, in their support for Trump for other reasons. And so mm-hmm. they might be wounded. I mean, everyone is, that's the thing. Everyone is, yeah. mm-hmm. but but no one's quite ready to just be told what their wound is, right? Uh, like after yeah, one conversation. Yeah, so yeah. so we just have to be careful about certainty even about the wounds.
0: Yeah, better said by you. Because that's really what I mean is mm. if some, if you see the wounds in others, it's because it's in you. And if, so maybe if you see yours first and you can acknowledge mm. that, then we can have a conversation. And
1: Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah, you can reflect it and connect. Mm -hmm. what's that? It's a good point you make that, that if you, if you have the wound in your, if you have a wound in yourself and the other person kind of sees that, Oh, we have that in common. It's, it's an easier way for us to acknowledge the way we're wounded when we share a little bit of it. I just hadn't thought of it that way. It's really cool.
0: Yeah. And I think this, there's a caveat here though. And it kind of goes back to what I said earlier, which is, let's use Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If someone is harming other people that needs to be dealt with you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to sit down and understand Putin's wounds.
1: Right, exactly. You know? And,
0: and, and I'm, sure he's, I'm sure he's got them, you know, and, he's human, oh, he has. <laughs> and, and, and now they're being expressed in, you know, in, the, in war and, you know, oppression and whatnot, or Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua. I don't want to understand his wounds. I just want him to stop imprisoning people yeah. for their political views. Um, and I think that's the fine line. But here's the thing. It's something I read. Um, I can't remember who said it, but it says, don't waste your fears on things that you don't waste your fears on anything but danger. Mm. Because if we think everything is, we use all our fears, I'm so afraid and we're- It's really
1: good, I'm writing that down.
0: Yeah, and I'll I'll say, I think it was David Hawkins actually, because I'm reading his book, Letting Go. But why don't waste your fears on, only use your fears on things that are actually dangerous. And I think this is the same thing. If we're going to challenge somebody where we're gonna necessarily, you know, Theodore Roosevelt walks softly, but carry a big stick, we can't go around assuming that everybody's evil. Everybody's yeah. damaged. Everybody's crazy because most people aren't roughly 10% of the population are sociopaths. Yeah. Um, that said, I do think if I, I do think that extremism is a type a form of mental illness. Mm-hmm. If you look at the list of things related to schizophrenia and paranoia, but if we don't treat, we treat it with violence and not compassion, mm-hmm. that it's perpetuated like terrorism. yeah, yeah We treat it with shame, true. with
1: violence. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. exactly. Or
0: drug addiction or, or whatever. So ending on a positive note here, um, is what, what does, is what are some signs of hope that you see? I know you've been on a book tour. You've, um, you know, you've been on a, a flurry of podcasts and you're, you're doing your thing with better angels or braver angels, excuse me. What are you seeing that's positive or progressive? signs of progress. Oh, my
1: gosh. I mean, just yesterday, uh, Braver Angels co-founder Bill Doherty was on the Hill in D.C. and doing these extraordinary workshops and sessions with members of Congress and, you know, sitting down and thinking about how their experiences led to their perspectives and letting people across the aisle know that. Mm -hmm. Um, So according to my colleague, tears were shed (laughs) in these meetings and that's uh, braver politics which is an initiative braver angels just launched to take the methods that have really been proven to work at the grassroots level in all these communities we have Mm -hmm. tens of thousands of members we have um subscribers we have uh, alliances more than 70 alliances across the country but we're taking them into the halls of power Mm -hmm. so to your point there is this there is this place where you say right don't waste your fears on anything but danger and and there there are those in power like Putin who we don't have time to get, we can't yeah. just be like, well, let's just have a conversation. Like yeah, that, that doesn't right. work. That doesn't work there. Oh, it works right. with each other. It works with yeah. with you know many people. But 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 yeah, we we have to know what to do. And but but it's still about polarization. So much of it is still about polarization. It's yeah. it's Putin's sense of danger and Putin's sense of fear and harm is creating a lot of these things that he thinks are necessary. And Other people shooting bombs at him to tell him he's wrong is not going to work. So, but sometimes that's what you got to do.
0: Yeah.
1: Anyway. Yeah. So I, so I, I kind of went on a tangent there, but (laughs) at the end of the day, I I'm getting a lot of hope from um, these things work for all humans, no matter how much power they have, no matter what office they're elected to or not politicians are not beyond this. They Mm -hmm. actually want this more than anyone. They just can't say it in a public field because then they will be Kicked out for not being committed enough to their side, everyone's trapped, but we can get out.
0: Yes, yeah, and I'll end with something very simple for me as an observation of hope is a a daily steady increase in diverse diversity in places of power. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a friend in New Jersey who has something called the People's Lobbyist who's teaching businesses pragmatic activism, he's a Latino. Um, I see. Um, uh, DEI as a major department inside of a Mm. company now, or CSR, corporate social responsibility, or, um, you know, all of this, all of this, um, like, when you take people that have, Mm. that have come from a background of struggling, and maybe of being um, ignored or unseen, and they are placed into power, and they have done the work, extraordinary change happens. And as similar to that as I see some allyship, I see other white men like me in my age at fifty-one going, "I'm your ally. I'm going to help this. I'm going to help you." That gives me great hope too, because mm-hmm. if we have um, diverse thought in places of power, then only good can come from that.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the
0: counter, because diverse thought produces curiosity, which then you know goes on down to then this slow melting of depolar of the polarization so
1: yep yep
0: different kind of polar ice cap so
1: <laughs> totally agree yes yeah. that's awesome awesome
0: this was fun I know we're at time thank you so so much
1: yeah thank you this was great.